everyone, and welcome to the show. This is episode number 67 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about the final season of Parks and Rec on your Creativity is for People with Glasses Who Like to Lie podcast. I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. And we wanted to take a moment to remind everybody that we are on a lot of different social media platforms, and we would love to engage with all of you. So we have a hashtag for the show that is hashtag PC Deprived. And you can find us on Twitter as at Eloquent Gushing. You can find us on Facebook as slash Eloquent Gushing. You can find us on Instagram as also at Eloquent Gushing. Um, look up Eloquent Gushing anywhere, and chances are we've got something going on. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we like to spread a wide net. We do. Um, a wide internet. Wanna... <laughs> <laughs> yes. A wide internet. Yes. Thank you, Matthew. <laughs> but yeah, if you have any thoughts on the shows, any questions, any comments, uh, particularly we usually give a shout out on uh, Twitter for upcoming shows for uh, whether people want to include any questions or give us their thoughts. It's always a good place to uh, find us and let us know. Absolutely. Or you can let us know if you have a specific movie that you would like us to do in the future, or if you would even like to be on the show yourself. Yay, new friends. I love new friends. Mm -hmm. So, season seven of Parks and Recreation, this aired January 2015. It focuses on what happens to the main cast three years after season six, and then further into the future in the season finale. The final season has a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, with an average of 7.81 out of 10 from 13 reviews. That's actually surprising. I'm surprised there's so few reviews, but I wonder if TV generally does. Because normally you look up films and it's like, oh, based on 80 reviews. Right. Mm, who knows? Uh, Mandy, how have you been able to watch season seven? Still on Netflix, thank goodness. Nice. It is still on Amazon over here. So I was able to watch it on that. It's always nice when you can do an entire television show before they decide to take it away. Mm. Particularly because it's like eight months we've been watching this. <laughs> right <laughs> I can't believe we're finished with Parks and Rec yes at, at last there are no spoilers there are no gifts you could see that you have not seen elsewhere that is correct yeah. Like, and I, I even mentioned that in one of my final tweets asking folks for feedback it's like there is nothing you can spoil anymore so everything is fair game mm -hmm. <laughs> okay we're going to try to talk particularly to season seven but i think there will be conversation about the, the series as a whole um so season seven of parks and recreation have you enjoyed it ultimately yes but there are a few caveats to that that i think will come up in our conversation okay so you said for season six your enjoyment was waning that you that you enjoyed it because these are characters you like and you like hanging out with them but it didn't impress you or grip you like previous seasons had is it the Correct. same sort of thing here, or is there actually stuff in this season that's uh, put you off or, or that comes up in those caveats? There's a small amount that's the same as, as that, but it's mostly particular storylines that I really didn't enjoy. Okay. Um, so previous seasons, we've kicked off with predictions um, and what you thought was going to happen and compared it to what we actually got in the season. Um, and you couldn't make predictions because the show does... Season six really did end as though it could be the series finale. Um, right. So there was nothing there. The one prediction you thought was going to happen is because all their kids would be a bit older, that there would be some play dates with Ron's kids and Leslie and Ron hanging out, having wacky fun, as I put it. Knowing what was coming, <laughs> I wanted to see if I could trap you in that. And I did. You did. And so, yeah, that was so wrong. <laughs> 10 points to Slytherin, frankly. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I, I could not have predicted anything that happened this season. And I can say that with absolute certainty. Yeah. The, looking back on it, the, the plot line that has stayed with me since I first watched it and, and that really comes across because it's the one they worked very hard on over those first few episodes is the falling out with Ron. Right. That is that is the, the big thing that stands out in this season, almost overriding anything that comes after it. Um, mm -hmm. What were your feelings on that? Um... Well, let's start first with a reaction to that from one of our listeners, um, because at Anna underscore MCG tweeted about that very same thing. She said, Leslie and Ron's estrangement was the low point of the season for me. Did you buy it? 
And I think that's what you're asking me as well. Mm, Yeah, pretty much, actually. (laughs) (laughs) No, I did not buy it. I was so upset. So upset. I thought they had both completely gone off the rails because it didn't make any sense. Even when they finally explained what happened, it still didn't make any sense. You know, we had watched their relationship grow for the last six seasons. And for them, it had been even longer than that because, I mean, the show started several years after they had been working together. Mm. And so this relationship had developed into this deep familial workplace acquaintance relationship (laughs) thing. (laughs) And for them to have such a complete falling out where they weren't even speaking to each other or acknowledging each other and they basically hated each other. Mm -hmm. Just no, there is not a world where I could see that happening. There is not a world where Leslie Nope would allow that to happen. Yeah. For the person they've always had, she stays up all night doing things and putting together binders and thinking of how to solve things. For her to just mm-hmm. forget about someone that she's that close to mm-hmm. doesn't really work. Well, and for her to to be so upset about a thing and not try to get to the bottom of what actually happened mm. is not something that Leslie would have ever done. You know, she would have gotten that whole story immediately and not have waited for three six however many years this was in the future three years in the future Mm. and so no i i just i didn't buy it i thought that they completely broke the characters for that to happen um and since that is what was driving a lot of the story in this season i struggled with the season especially at the beginning because once they broke these two characters i didn't trust them not to break any of the other ones okay Right. Yeah, they did this plot recently in Fast and Furious 8. They turned Vin Diesel into the bad guy. It didn't work there either. Right. Um, And it really does feel like, hey, we need to come up with something interesting. What if we did this outrageous thing? Oh, yes, that would be amazing. And and if they'd pulled it off, it could have been quite interesting. But it's a ridiculous idea. Like you say, certainly from Leslie's point of view, it doesn't work. From Ron's Mm -hmm. point of view... I have huge problems with it. He's the one who's always talked about, you You be a man, you face up to giving someone bad news or dealing with your thing and being a straight canon, as it were. And he's the one who, well, I finally swallowed my pride and then you were busy and then you seemed to not turn up. So I, I got really upset with you. And he didn't actually face up to the thing then. And then he did a petty thing, and he, but he, he kept the front door because it's not petty because he's actually sentimental. So that all kind of broke. <laughs> So the the justification right. for it doesn't really work. And then when they're actually angry at each other and, and falling out, they're, they're doing things like, oh, you have stupid hair. Oh, you're a big duty head. You know what? I can't stand you. I can't stand your stupid mustache and your stupid shirt and your stupid name, Ron. Ron. It's not even a word. Well, I've had just about enough of your stubborn behavior. Ever since the Morningstar incident, you have been completely unreasonable. You were the unreasonable one. You've been unreasonable way before Morningstar. You're the most unreasonable, stubborn person I have ever met, and I am never going to change my mind on that, no matter what anybody says. That That's the, <laughs> the, the snipping that they do at each other, whereas what I was expecting is a thing of her actually cutting him with, well, you're doing this thing for the government and helping them, and that's, you know, defacing your morals. And she's saying, he says to her... I think he does at one point get off a line of, You're not that good at scrapbooking. What? But that's the worst it gets to, and these characters know themselves know each other much better. And I would imagine in this situation, they would really have been some daggers out. Right. But they don't even take it that far. <laughs> no, no, they really don't. And, okay, this this is really weird, though, because as much as I disliked the fight and, and how much it, it broke them... Mm. The resolution that was written for them, the locking them in the room together, half of that was awful and still fit into this whole breaking of the characters thing. But the other half of it was really good mm. because half of it, they were the same characters because they kept going back and forth between like Ron walking away and locking himself in his old office. And then they would cut to another scene where they were both in the other room saying, what are you doing? And then they're going through old stuff together. So they kept going back and forth between these two scenarios that didn't fit together. Mm. 
But one of them was really nice because the characters weren't really broken. And it, it, so it, the whole thing didn't work for me, but the payoff of... So when Ron finally revealed that he was sucking it up to go ask Leslie for a job with the federal government because he missed his friends. Mm. Oh, oh no, Ron, I stood you up for lunch. You did, yes. I waited for a while, but it was pretty easy to figure out what had happened. Your life seemed pretty hectic. Is that the rest of the story, that I stood you up? You were going to ask me something. That's why you wanted to have lunch. Ron, you were going... I was going to ask you for a job. In the federal government. Just saying it out loud feels dirty. You missed your friends. And you wanted to come up to the third floor and work with us again. I can't even imagine how hard that must have been for you. God, why didn't I see that? Ron, I am so sorry. I should have been a better friend to you. Honestly, Leslie, it's fine. It was a punctuation mark on a sentence that had already been written. I cried. Oh. <laughs> I did. I cried. Even though the rest of what happened broke the character, I felt like that was a thing that Ron would do. Because Ron is a softie. And Ron would recognize that the family he had built was more important than his anti-government stance. And so I really liked that, mm. but I didn't like everything else that happened. <laughs> yeah, it's it's believable he could get to that point, but at that point he'd then do that thing he's committed himself to doing. He wouldn't organize lunch and then get upset with her for not turning up to the lunch, and uh, it just doesn't fit with the character. Like you say, they yeah, broke no, him. No, it, it really doesn't. <laughs> they did. They completely broke him, and um, they didn't really fix it. Mm. And so I, th I think that's the, the main problem that I have with this season. And since it was such a short season, I mean, there were really only 12 episodes, and that took up a solid half of them. Mm. You know, it, it was just, uh, it was frustrating. Yeah, and even after that, Ron is still either on the periphery or trying to do an in-between. I don't know, Ron never quite gets back to being the right character or the character we knew. He's now largely played for laughs about him and his brother or doing a silly advert or... Or shooting the drone out of the sky. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and that's that's believable. The bit where he comes to the door in the rain holding a dead robot drone <laughs> is terrific <laughs> and is what I want to see if you're going to the future. Um, yes. But yeah, it's, it's just the comic side of Ron. It is. But see... The reason I think that that still doesn't work for his character because that was the Ron that we got through seasons one through six. But in season seven, we got a Ron who didn't care that Grizzle was mining people's privacy. Mm. He didn't care. The Ron from seasons one through six would have flipped out. Yeah. And he wouldn't have been all logical. Well, people knew what they were signing up for. He is so, like, pro-privacy that he would not have been okay with that, and he would not have kept his contract with them. And so to have the Ron who says that it's okay because people signed up for it and then turn around and have that comic relief moment of the Ron that we're familiar with, it didn't really work because they weren't consistent. Mm. Um, I, I think that's really probably my biggest problem with this season is that they weren't consistent in writing the characters. Yeah. And I don't know if that's because they were trying to show growth because of the time jump or if they had different people on writing. I probably should have looked that up on who the writers were for the season. Um, but it was inconsistent. Um, it was certainly the names that are appearing – are people who had written before. So Michael Scher obviously wrote some, uh, Megan Amram, Aisha Mahara. Yeah, there's, there's a number of people who had written before. I, I don't know the names of all of them, so I can't say for definite, but... Okay. And, and th this was definitely a show that had a writing room. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, and I'm just trying to think of other stuff Ron did. Even uh, when April was moving away and it turns out there's this quest for him to go on to find the key. 
that's him grabbing a bag and giggling and going running with them and so on. It's like, no, that's not the Ron we've seen before. He would still be playing this cool because he likes the quest. See, but, I but he doesn't didn't have a problem with that. Okay. Because we did see him the last time, or at least one of the times where he had the quest, um, was when like he he did play it cool with Leslie, and then he finally he, like in the end he ran back and he's like, you know, I really did like it, and I want you to do that for me, right? Yeah. You know, so he kind of broke his cool in front of people, and so it because they had laid that groundwork already, it didn't bother me that he showed that. Okay. But that could just be me grasping at straws yeah. to I, I feel some kind of consistency. <laughs> I feel like he he did that in front of Leslie. Actually, I like this thing. But he wouldn't be right. running around laughing and smiling about the thing. And no, Yeah, not <laughs> yeah. in front of April. To the animal control department. Yes, let's go. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway, so so Ron potentially is the big problem. I, agree, I, I think I agree with you that all the characters are poorly done, but Ron stands out. I, I think yes. this is a good point for us to touch on data privacy, though. <laughs> How prescient is this show? Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> and, and we've talked about it before in doing the way it deals with um, female politicians, the way it talks about politics and uh, disenfranchised people and the way they react to, to uh, social justice movements, as it were. But wow, the mining of data and the sharing of data and what it could be used for. And, and you, you could write this and uh, talk about it being predictive in any way. But given what's happened in recent weeks with Cambridge Analytica, this seems really, really on point. Absolutely. It was very heavy-handed mm-hmm. and it it makes me wonder if this was the show trying to predict that this would be an issue in the future or if this was the show making a statement on something that was happening in 2014 yeah because it's always been a concern of oh go to your facebook settings and change this and it won't be shared and so on mm-hmm. um it just uh because it's suddenly in the news and we've had this moment. So there, there was one moment that I thought, wow, that is actually good writing about this thing. It's very funny, but also a, a proper indication of what people know. Um, when the chap from Grizzle is doing a TV interview. In your opinion, have you done anything wrong? We did not believe that we did anything to invade people's privacy, Trod. But then we checked thousands of emails and texts between our customers and their loved ones. And it seemed like people thought we were wrong. <laughs> he follows it up with... We are going to be throwing a free concert with U2 and Beyonce. Tickets are already on your phones. Seating is going to be organized by income and sexual history. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was some pretty heavy face palming that's coming perfect. from me when I was watching this. <laughs> yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Scary, but good. Mm. <laughs> Okay, so you have caveats on the season. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. The characters weren't good. Does it make any difference if you separate the season finale from the season itself? Oh, absolutely, because I absolutely adored the finale. It was Mm. one of the best series finales I've ever seen. Wow. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Can can you talk to why? What, What about it made you love it so much? I can tell you exactly why I loved it so much, um, because somebody else already wrote it down. Um, Variety magazine actually did a review of the finale, Mm. and I pulled a couple quotes out because it just spoke to me. It, like, put into words how I was feeling. They wrote, um, the hour-long series finale was officially written by Polar and co-creator series mastermind Mike Schur, but might as well have been written by Leslie herself. She couldn't have hoped for better goodbyes to all of her best friends. Every carefully crafted payoff played like a great big hug to not only the characters, but the audience. Under Schur's steady hand as director, the narrative weaved back and forth through time with precision and grace. Fans got resolution without finality, waving goodbye while leaving viewers with a profound sense that all these lives continue on. That is exactly how I want my television shows to end. I want to know that they're happy and that they're going to continue to be happy. That's always what I want for characters that I love. And okay. that's what we got. Right. I I dispute that thing of saying resolution without finality. I absolutely think we see too much here. Mm-hmm. It, it is almost like, oh, we know you love these characters. So we're going to try and tell you all the important things that happen to them and make you feel like you can put them to bed and never worry about them again. Mm-hmm. And 
I think it's too much. I think it tries to do too much in, in two episodes, effectively. I, I would rather have had a sense of, oh, I, I wonder what happened. I wonder what they went on to. And I could see the seeds of something happening from there, but I never got... I, I want to feel like there's more world and more story to be had. And at the end of this... Oh, I, but I think there is. For everybody except for Gary. <laughs> but at the end of it, I don't feel like there was, for, for the most part. And I will agree there are some questions in there and there are some things that could happen. But by and large, we learned what the plot of their story was going... The plot of their lives was going to be. And it answers too many questions. It's almost like jumping forward 15 years and finding out what their children are called and who their children are and seeing them sending off their children off to school and what their jobs were at the end. Cause... <laughs> okay, that was 17 years. Um, <laughs> I think... Do you know, I was going to say 20 and I'm like, no, kids are younger than that when they go to Hogwarts. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was 17 years okay. in the future, but... I, I think the reason that I'm okay with this one is because with the exception of Gary, who they showed us all the way out to age 100, we only see everybody out to 2025 and they're all still young and they still have so many years left ahead of them that there's still so much potential for what they can go on and do. And so we kind of get to see them continue on this path, but then the sky's the limit for where it can go after that. And I appreciate that, but I am also way more emotionally driven as we keep talking about week yeah. after week. <laughs> this has been coming up a lot lately. Um, the the emotion behind it, I think, is is really what got me. Um, and, and so, I mean, I totally understand where you're coming from. I just have a different perspective. Yeah. I uh, it feels the word I keep using on it is saccharine. Every time I talk to someone, that's that's the word. It just feels like it's dripping in maple syrup and cream <laughs> um, but see i like that <laughs> i just i i didn't need as much information as we got um and i feel there were stories going on at the time that i was more interested in than some of the stories we got okay um can we run through what each of the stories were and maybe kind of get a sample of what you wished you had gotten instead yeah Actually, to kick this off, I want to start with a tweet by our listener, Jan, at JLMO. She said, I loved the way the season ended with a glimpse of everyone's future. I'd love to know your thoughts on Leslie and Ben and who the Secret Service was there for. So let's start with Leslie and Ben. So we find out that Ben be does become a congressman. Leslie has a nice career in the interior. Both of them are individually approached to run for governor of Indiana, and ultimately they decide that Leslie will run. Um, and she wins. And do they talk about her serving two terms, or is it Ben who serves two terms? Um, I think I think they did say. I think One in that that speech at the end that, that she ran for two terms. But then we did have that final scene at Gary's funeral, where the Secret Service came and got mm -hmm. them. Yeah, and so that implies that possibly one of them is the president. So my next question then is: in becoming president. Obviously, you don't have to have held any political office. Um, but is there a standard? <laughs> yeah. Is there a standard? Is there a, a general route into? Is it better to have been in the Senate? Better to have worked at state level? Um, I think generally it's going to be a governor or a senator who feeds into it. Okay. So what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. It could go a couple different ways. I think it's Leslie. But I don't know if she is vice president or president. But I do think it's Leslie. Do you think it's Leslie? Do you want it to be Leslie? Both. <laughs> yeah, Honestly, I, both. I think that's where I am as well. I don't see that Amy Poehler would have written this and not made it Leslie. Mm -hmm. And I think even if she'd given that up, even if she went, no, I think in this show which has been so good about the capability of women and women's rights and pointing out the ridiculousness of elements of the patriarchy she would then give it to Ben and I think even if she did that if she was super lacking in pride Michael Schur wouldn't have let that happen <laughs> right well and I also think when you look at how Ben basically gave the governorship to Leslie hmm. 
the reasons behind that would be the same reasons why he would support her for president over him. Yeah. Like, I don't see that changing. And so that's why I think it's Leslie, but I really want it to be Leslie too. Do we think it's actually that in, uh, I can't do maths at the moment, but 2030 or something, whenever this is um, uh, Well, the that thing? was at Gary's funeral, so he was 100. So this was at least 30, 40 years later. Okay. But they are in office by that point. So at some point in the future, the ticket is Nope Wyatt 2030. Oh, that would be amazing. Is that what we're actually talking about here? Can you do that? I hadn't considered that. I don't know. (laughs) I think if anybody could make that happen, it would be Leslie Nope. That's that's the trick, isn't it? Yes. Mm, Okay. (laughs) I am all about Nope Wyatt. Yep, let's do that. Yes. Okay. So their flash forward is about running for governor and is about which one or the other should run. And in the end, he gives it to her because clearly it's something she's passionate about and she's such a good person she would give out to him. I, that's probably the best of the stories, but I'm so much more interested in seeing just that story. I really want to see what happens in their running, all the stuff that they come up against and what happens when she takes over. Part of the problem is I am here in Parks and Rec for the story of this department and running the local town. In the same way, as much as I loved Mad Men, I loved Mad Men for a lot of the the advertising stuff. Like some of the advertising stuff was really interesting. In this, I really enjoyed the politics stuff. So not seeing all of it. So you want to see that campaign. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And actually, you've, Reminded me, there was a quote um, about the finale in the AV Club from Alasdair Wilkins. Um, there may not sh- be a show on the air that more unabashedly roots its characters to, su- to succeed. But that's kind of the point, particularly in the post-Anne version of the show. Ever since Leslie and Ben got together, everyone's life has more or less been on the right track, and it's just harder for the show to sell audiences on the notion that not everything is going to work out sooner or later. The offhand mention in Tom's flash forward that Ben won his election is a nice touch, particularly for those who grew t- a little tired of the show's plot-heavy political storylines. Like, no, I'm not tired <laughs> of that storyline. I want a little bit more. <laughs> okay. All right. That that makes sense. All right. Okay, who's Let's next? Let's move on hmm. to Andy and April. I was a little bit disappointed by theirs because it was very short compared to all of the others. They basically have a kid. Yeah. That's it. They have a kid. Um, I mean, April struggles with the decision to whether or not she wants to have a kid. Um, so honestly, I was a little bit surprised that Andy was pushing for the kid and April was scared. But they still had a kid and she went into labor in full zombie makeup on Halloween. So it was April and Andy having a kid. Yeah. It's a really minor point, but that is one of my problems with the show in general. It really does sell the thing of being happy is being in a relationship, being married, having children, having a career. And that's not the path for everyone. But I feel like they've got this very heteronormative lifestyle for everyone. That is actually a really good point. I was just running through the... Because my first instinct was to say, no, that's not true. But then I ran through all the characters and you are absolutely right. I mean, Tom and Lucy didn't have kids, I don't think. But he definitely had to be in that relationship to have his happy ending. Mm. So you're right. You're absolutely right. Well, Donna didn't have children either. No, true. But she did get married in this final season. Yes. And and then do a very maternal thing in supporting other people's children. Yes. Yeah. But I loved that and it made me tear up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I think I love it just for the Teach Yourself Foundation. I, yes. I That's the... the possibly the best pun this show has ever done in a show that does puns very well um yeah but that's good that's very good i mean yeah it it was great because i mean he was just sitting there like the school cut the math club and math they just don't teach math anymore then you get this glorious pun yeah it was amazing yeah again i feel like we're seeing the highlight of her life setting up this foundation but that does leave a bit of interest of what's going to happen with that However, we then find out, oh, it's been a huge success and she's making lots of money on her other business as well. So, hooray for her. Well, I mean, Donna was never going to be anything else but successful. 
She'd always been that successful. We just hadn't really seen it because we focused so much on her life inside the Parks and Rec department rather than outside of it. Yeah. So, but they kind of gave us nuggets like her condo in Seattle mm-hmm. and you know all of these trips that she liked to take that they told us about, but we didn't get to see. So it would have been interesting if she's the one who has always been successful and we've never seen it. It would have been really interesting to see her dealing with not being successful or having some sort of actual struggle or even understanding her struggle to be successful. Yeah. Whereas you're right. Next on the list, we have the person who has always struggled to be successful and it turns out he wasn't successful and he turned that into being a success. And again, it. I think that's brilliant, though. Oh, man. I do. Tom making failure his success when all he's done is fail his whole life. I honestly thought that was brilliant and I really liked it. Okay. We, we've not talked too much about Tom through most of the thing. Um, I have not been very charitable to him. I do not like Tom in this season. Almost everything he does on screen annoys me. And it starts off with him supposed to be giving a nice speech about Ben. He takes it over and gives a speech about himself, but then makes up for it because he gives Ben the speech to Ben. No, no, that's not making up for it, you giant ass. <laughs> that is true. And um, all the way through, like even when he's dealing with this stuff with Lucy, and he's like, oh, hey, I bought you a present. Oh, those men's shoes won't suit you, will they? No, I just felt like Tom was being Tom. Like I didn't feel like he was inconsistent at all, and so that's why I didn't like dislike him. I mean, his character is is not he's not a, really a good person. No, you know he's annoying as crap. But we're supposed to love him because it's funny and cute how awful he is. Oh, I don't love and, him, and I don't. I just do not buy it. And I think uh, it might not be inconsistent. I think it's just dialed up to eleven, and and. Oh, it just gets under my skin. Okay, that's fair. So yeah, um, I th- yeah. Okay, I, th- I we'll we'll go with that. I think the one that was simultaneously most surprising and least surprising was Gary being the mayor for the rest of his life. Yeah, and the reason I say it's most and least surprising is because I didn't see it coming that Ben was going to appoint him as interim mayor. Like, I was going through all of these characters, and I think even in my notes, I was like, oh, my gosh, is he going to make it April? Like, what is happening here? I don't understand. And then it was Gary. And I was like, what? But then it made perfect sense after that to me. I don't know why. Something clicked in my brain, and it made perfect sense to me that he stayed the mayor for the mm. rest of his life. Yeah. Because that I feel like that is the kind of thing where he could be himself. And not have to play up this caricature of himself like he always had to do in the Parks and Rec department. And he could just be this genuinely kind and happy person leading the town. Mm. So I, I thought that really worked for me. Um, it kind of freaked me out that he lived to be 100 while all of his children were still 20. <laughs> but other than that, it was great. Yeah, that that is a, a very well done ending. Everything in him getting the balloon flight... Um, <laughs> that was great. He was so and the ride on the Palantine. It, it was just all so well done. And and then yeah, particularly yeah. seeing in the future and the things changing around him and him not changing. It is everything we've seen from him in the Parks and Rec department, but at a higher level. And that is good. Yes. I, I yes. Thinking about him, the the best moment though is Donna's wedding, where she puts a name place out that says Gary, and everyone changes his name to Gary, and it's just that's beautiful. That's probably lovely. <laughs> yeah. He finally gets to be called by his real name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. Mm. Finally, we round out with Ron, mm. who ends his run by working for the federal government. Which I have conflicting thoughts about. Okay. Um, I think it's the perfect job for him because he's doing like the actual day-to-day job that he has to do is walk around a park and make sure it's okay is the perfect job for ron but the fact that they made it a federal government job when he's so anti-government is both awesome and cruel at the same time okay that's kind of how i feel about that i i really like it 
for me, you know, because I want to see more of this stuff, I would have loved to have seen it as an actual debate on his philosophy. Okay, if you hate government, this is another thing the government does. It looks after this beautiful park and it has people here to make sure everything's okay. Mm-hmm. And and you get to do that. How does that fit with your philosophy? Um, but I think it does fit very well with his philosophy. This is the sort of thing that will change his mind of okay, there are things about the government that should be changed and I have spent my life trying to change them and, and stop the government wasting money on things I don't think it should be wasting money on. This is the thing that money should be wasted on, so I will partake. Yeah, that would have been nice. Although I did like how Leslie forged his signature to accept the job on his behalf. <laughs> yes. and he got to start right away. <laughs> I did really like that. It was nice. Uh, we had another comment from our friend Abby at this A.E. Shaw. She said, I loved the last season. It's a real proper end for all the characters, kindly and consciously done. Bronze is particularly perfect. And the soft future tech stuff is so much fun. And I have to agree with her. I think I know that, that you don't really like this whole saccharine ending that they did for everybody, but it, it was perfect for me. It was the best kind of ending for characters. Um, I hate when shows end and you just don't know what's happening anymore. Like, it's just done. It's gone. Because I'm invested in these characters. I love these characters. These characters are a part of my life, and I need to know what's going on with them. And so when a show takes the time out to share that with the audience, I always appreciate it. And that's fair. I, I Yeah, I can see enjoying that and going, yes. Like I said, you can put this to bed and not think about it again, not worry about further stories coming from it necessarily. Um, and although, yes, there could be more stories, this has largely given us everything we're going to want to know. Um, I, I like the ending of something like Buffy that ends with, and this is the end of this story we've been telling you. Right. And there are more stories, but this is what we've made. Great. Or um, we'll see, and- Star Trek The Next Gen, which is particularly good, which isn't even necessarily a complete close of the last seven years, but is a, a very... We have bookended these seven years with these episodes that pay off against each other. Mm-hmm. Mm, nice. Yeah, I mean, Voyager did the same thing. Mm. Oh, yeah, Voyager, very um, much story done. Excellent. Yeah. Um, and I think had season six been the the ending of Parks and Rec, this would have been one of those. Yes. Um, but they decided to give us more. And I would have been okay either way. But now that I got season seven, I'm happier with this ending than I would have been with the season six ending. Oh, really? But I didn't know it until I saw it, if that makes sense. If I had never seen season seven, if I didn't know it existed, I would have been happy with what I got. But now that I know this exists, I like this better. Okay, so that was a question we got from our friend Kate uh, at I Do Human Things. She asked um, uh, for a comparison between the finales of season six and season seven. So it sounds like for you, this is actually more satisfying. It is. Since I've seen them both... This one is more satisfying to me. Ah. I think I think for me, season six was. And that, that's possibly why this comes as a disappointment. Because if I didn't have these 12, 13 episodes, I would have gone, oh, Parks and Rec was good. That last season's perhaps not quite as strong, but it's still excellent. Whereas I end up with, yeah, if you skip seasons one and seven, Parks and Rec is amazing. <laughs> okay. Because we like different things. We do like different things because we're different people, and that's what makes our conversation so interesting. Mm-hmm. Abby had one last question for me. She wanted to know, how did the show differ slash meet your expectations of what it would be? Do you think you'll watch it again in, in individual episodes or in its entirety? Um, I'm going to work through that backwards. I think I absolutely would watch it again. Um, and I think this is a show where if I ever saw it in syndication, like on TBS or TNT or something... I would always watch it if I saw it on kind of the way I do Friends now. Okay. Um, so I don't need to see it in order anymore because I've seen it all. And so I would be happy just randomly seeing an episode of Parks and Rec and being, oh, I wonder which episode this is and I'm going to enjoy it now. Hmm. Um, absolutely, yes. I don't remember what my expectations were for the show at the beginning, honestly. So I don't know if it met them or differed from them because – as we continued to watch it, I just loved it so much that I just wanted to keep watching it, and I'm really glad I did. Do you remember what my expectations were at the start? I mean, I know when I watched the pilot, I thought I was going to hate it, which we've already addressed basically every other season. Your expectations of Parks and Recreation 
My gut thinks this is a stupid show. Not a bad show, just a stupid one. Like The Office, a show about the mundane, but overly melodramatic. Oh, wow, I was super wrong about that. Yeah, I don't think that's what it was at all. I think it ended up being a genuinely well-written and thoughtful show about the lives of these characters. Mm. And I think it... it uh, I said better this earlier, but it does have this nice theme of a woman in a government position and fighting against all the issues you might come up against and fighting against um, the sort of inane sitcom stuff you would write for anyone, but then also dealing with how people treat her, her via her gender. I think it does a, a lot of good in that, in pointing out some of that daftness and showing a capable woman doing a good job. Right. Mm. I'm so glad I watched this, you guys. <laughs> Thank you, Matthew, for making me continue, even though I clearly had reservations at the beginning. So the end of this season, everyone gets back together for these last episodes. Even Anne and Chris are there. I don't think they get a flash forward. <sighs> they do not. But Anne and Chris are there. And if we're talking about actual finales that was the last scene they filmed they did everyone's schedule so they were back in their set the parks and rec department set and all the car- all the actors were back on set for that day as well well that's not emotional at all well, exactly if we're talking about this being saccharine and too emotional and and uh, almost fan servicey that's the source of evidence for it for me like wait so you kept everyone on this job so that you could have the final day as that and you filmed all these people separately Rather than scheduling diaries nicely of stuff. <laughs> and honestly, Anne and Chris didn't bring anything to the table for this episode. No. They really didn't. I was surprised. Like, I was really excited to see Anne at first. Because I was like, oh my gosh, she's here. But then they didn't matter. They didn't get a flash forward. They weren't treated as important anymore. Mm-hmm. They were just kind of an afterthought. Mm. I don't think we would have missed them at all had they not been included. Yeah, I think the only revelation for them is that they're moving back to Pawnee, but that's about it. Yeah, but it doesn't matter because everybody else is leaving. Mm. Um, Except for Gary. Yeah. One, well, there's a couple of people we've not mentioned, but the one person we've not mentioned is Craig, who we didn't particularly like after last season. Can you please explain to me how Craig ends up running the department? <laughs> now, I, I tried to set aside my feelings on Craig to see what they did with him in season seven. And if all I got of him was season seven Craig, I would have liked him because he is much, much better in this season, but he's coming with all the baggage. Well, it was nice that they addressed it a little bit. Like they took the shouting away and they gave him a mechanism Mm. to diffuse it and they called it out, Mm. which was really nice um, because that left the character consistent. It didn't break the character. But I still don't understand how in three years he rose from an like an administrative assistant to run the department. Like there was no explanation. Was it literally everybody else in the department left and so they just gave it to him? Because it's kind of what it felt like. Yeah. I, I, I didn't have an issue with that because when they show him that doppelgangers episode where they show him coming in against the way uh, Donna acts as office manager... He is shown to be very capable and know what he's doing. And, and Donna even calls it. She says, you need to keep him. He's really good at what he does. So I think he is good at what he does. Just character-wise, he never worked for us. Um, okay. and, and Kate, again, actually asked us. She, she asked for the favorite Craig moment. I'm not sure I have a fra- favorite Craig moment. Maybe that joke about him saying things he loves. Um... I liked it whenever he started alphabetizing them. You should up your therapy to seven times a week. Stop dressing that way and give me your wallet. Victor Garber, James Garner, Jennifer Garner. I go alphabetical now. Yeah, that was good. But she also <laughs> shared with me a few videos of um, the the actor who does a show called Billy on the Street. Um, okay. The actual actor, and it's him with other celebrities doing stuff on New York streets. And some of it's actually very, very funny. It's still kind of his shtick of being aggressive and shouty at people. But it worked better there because he's doing it probably for comedy rather than that's the character trait. Right. Mm. Okay. The other character who doesn't get to come back is Mark Brandanowitz. Nobody cares. He's in two full seasons of the show and they could not bring him back. Like, there's a story there, I'm sure. There's a there's a Christopher Eccleston size story there is what I think. I don't 
think so. Honestly, it wouldn't have made sense for them to bring him back. I mean, they brought Ann and Chris back because they had seasons-long relationships with these people. Mark was there for two seasons, but he didn't have relationships. I mean, he had a relationship with Ann. Yeah. That's it. (laughs) Like, he wasn't close with anybody else, so why would they bring him back? Like, that doesn't make sense. I was expecting him to work at Ron's firm. I I thought there would have been something like that. Okay. But he's just, he is utterly forgotten from this show. I'm okay with that. (laughs) And I think I am too. I just, it's, like I say, it's so saccharine, it's so emotional, and yet there's a two-season character who's missed out. I mean, some of the cameos we get. So so let's move into cameos and guest spots and so on, because every single person who has ever been in this show with more than two lines gets to be in at least the last season, if not the finale somewhere. Right. Like, everyone. Every single person. (laughs) Can I just say, though? Go on. Politicians can't act. (laughs) It was so bad. So bad. Particularly when they had, oh, it was, um, I know this is one of your favorite bits, but the the two senators who did Across the Aisle, Mm. it was Cory Booker, and I can't remember who the other one was. They were so bad. It was like they were literally reading off of cue cards. Yeah. They were uncomfortable. They didn't understand what they were doing. They they were all like that. I, I felt that with John McCain. He was yes. really awkward. I was like, oh, that's weird. Madeleine Albright was quite good. I will give her some credit. She was okay. Joe Biden wasn't awful, but he wasn't great. But I think that's because he had been on before. Yeah, and I think having his wife there and then playing off against each other, I think that, I mean, it worked character-wise and it worked in the show. Um, yeah. Hmm. Michelle Obama didn't do well. That was in the last season, though. Yeah. Oh, but that moment, Leslie sells that moment perfectly, so. Yeah, I mean, it was still a great moment because of Leslie, but as a, she's a politician, not an actor. Um, but in, in terms of celebrity guest appearances, this is a good season. We have Genuine, obviously Donna's uh, cousin, she's mentioned several times. I, I think mm-hmm. her cousin who comes in at the end of the wedding as well. I think that was her little brother. Little brother or something. I think he's also... Uh, a singer. He looked very familiar, but I couldn't place it. I cannot it. remember. I didn't That's look because... it out, but it's just come to me, yeah. I'm also musically challenged, so <laughs> I don't know who anybody is. Um, but we had John Cena. <laughs> John Cena. It's so weird when John Cena turns up on screen. And Was he the one who ended up in the dunk? Yeah, room? with the tarantula. <laughs> Right. And he's yes. he's in Sisters with Amy Poehler, so I don't know if they were filming at this time or something, but okay, that's so strange. Um, Werner Herzog, who's a very dark director, is the person who's selling the creepy house to April and Nandy. What was this place? Remember the Pawnee Dollhead Factory? This was a Dollhead Factory? No, this was a holding cell for people who went insane on the assembly line. What's behind this door? <gasps> a fire pole. So this place has had zero offers? People seem to be scared off on account of it being haunted and disgusting. After 47 years living here, I decided to move to Orlando to be closer to Disney World. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't recognize him. And it was so like... I think that's Werner Herzog, but I don't know why he's in Parks and Recreation. It just, <laughs> you know, when you see something so out of place, like a boat on land. <laughs> yeah, that one I didn't recognize at all. Um, but the final one, as the outgoing dead mayor, Bill Murray. Was this the first time Bill Murray was in it, or had we seen him before? No, was, I couldn't remember. This was the first time for him. Okay. It was pretty good. He's Bill Murray. Yeah, he comes in and does his thing. And then Ethel Beavers tells us that she had a thing for him. Yeah. Which oh, creepy. that's great. <laughs> His lover <laughs> for 30 years. <laughs> so good. And I never told him I loved him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but everyone, in, certainly in, in those last couple of episodes, gets to come back in. Paul Rudd's back in there. Shauna Mulway tweeps in there. Jeremy Jam's in there. Just, it's chock full of everyone who's ever been in this show for a few minutes 
Yes. Yes. There's even it was it was jam packed. Mm. Yes. <laughs> I yes, see what you did, Mandy. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say no pun intended, but I don't think that's true. Mm. Pretty sure I meant it. <laughs> um. So. We we started this conversation off by saying, can you separate the final season from the finale? And you say it's better if you do. Is there anything we want to discuss about the, the rest of the season? There's some standout no. shows in there. The, the Johnny Karate Super Awesome Musical Explosion show is something very different than what they've done before. That The end of that one surprised me whenever they ran the credits for Johnny Karate and it ended up being the end credits for the Parks and Rec episode. Mm. That surprised me, but the episode itself really wasn't that stand out to me. Okay. I don't know why. It just wasn't. And obviously we have the early episodes. We have the return of Tammy in Ron and Jammy. <sighs> yeah. Tammy. <laughs> That's how I feel about that. It was fairly shoehorned in. I mean, it was nice to get to see Leslie slapping Jam over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, just in the background. <laughs> But was so um, good. it wasn't a really necessary episode other than to get Leslie and Ron to work together, which they wouldn't have needed to do if they hadn't broken the characters in the first place. I'm a little bit bitter about some of that, if you can't tell. Yeah, I, I think it fundamentally does not work. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, so that's mostly why I am so pro the end of the season. I will say that the April stuff was really good. With April figuring out what she wanted to do, the the guys trying to help her get that job, the running gag with the accountants all over again, <laughs> this time it's April. That arc was very nicely done, and it ended with April making her own decision with what she wanted to do, which is something that we've talked about previously, that they've kind of always just kind of let her story fall away because everybody else was more important and they didn't do that this season. So that was really nice. That's probably the highlight of the season for me besides the finale. Yeah, and that whole story is actually handled quite maturely. It is a very well done story, whereas everything else is a bit flighty almost. It, it, it Nothing ever quite ends up concrete i can't i can't tell where they're focusing on dealing with grizzle dealing with ron dealing with um uh, trying to become a congressman all these different things going on it's a bit uh, i'm not sure what i'm supposed to be watching and what is the important thing here right um but yeah uh, april's issues all the way through are very very good so one of the things we've also tracked all the way through is running gags um a lot of them came home to roost in this. Ron and Riddles, Gary's name, uh, Cones of Dunshire continued to be a thing, which I was quite pleased with because I, I do quite like that gag. Uh, as you say, the accounting firm, Calzones became a thing in the Pie Mary episode. It's not a pie. It's a dessert calzone. <laughs> it's a dessert calzone. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. And particularly libraries, which is not... It was an early running gag. It was a very heavily done running gag very early on. Right. It's one of the very last thing the show does is a library gag with, with Leslie getting a library named after her. In addition to Governor Nope's honorary doctorate from the School of Public Policy, in recognition of all she's done for the people of Indiana, the campus library will henceforth bear her name. <laughs> library? remember them mentioning the library issue in season six at all but i could just be forgetting um but it had definitely turned into it was very subtle it it wasn't something the show was pushing us pushing at us anymore and so for them to throw it in that final episode was a really nice callback Mm. yeah and it's such a it's done in such a small way i really like it it works so well for me there's a couple of things that we've not discussed in all the episodes that I've wanted to. That I keep thinking, oh, I must mention that. Next time we talk about Parks and Rec, I must, because it's a great moment. Um, we've not mentioned Brandy Max, who I feel just need to mention, uh, is a wonderful parody of everything that's going on. And Leslie fighting for equality, being um, viewed in the same way men are viewed. And then they use Brandy Max as the absolute counter to that, because... 
she's absolutely allowed to go and do what she does. But by being given a podium, literally in some cases, it absolutely hurts what Les- the message Leslie's trying to get through. Yeah. Yeah. The show, the show doesn't, uh, doesn't totally commit to some of the messages it wants to do, but it does hold up every version of a message when it can. Yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. I, I didn't really think about it that way, but yes, that is exactly what it does. <laughs> and in the same way, uh, just a, a recurring character we're not mentioned, Perd Happily. How wonderful is Perd Happily? Perd Happily doing the commercial fade in and outs for Johnny Karate's show yeah. was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Those cracked me up. And then something came across my Facebook feed this week. Did you know that that actor was actually a newscaster before he was an actor? Like, he was a newscaster for, like, 30 years. Yeah, so th- so this is the the next thing about him that is wonderful is he has gone on to play a newscaster on a lot of episodes of Parks and Rec and a few other things. Um, before this, he'd done The Mentalist and uh, so on. But he also then appeared in Fast and Furious 5 as a reporter. He's appeared in a number of episodes of Supergirl. He's appeared in The Orville as a future um, reporter. Nice. <laughs> yeah, he just gets cast as a, as a news anchor everywhere. And it, it's perfect. It's wonderful. Oh, yeah. He's got that, like, anchorman voice down. Mm. It's amazing. I At first, I didn't like him. He annoyed me. But he grew on me. Right. Like, I liked seeing what they were going to do with him. I really liked it when he ended up doing the judge show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they kept having to flash the disclaimers across the screen. Not a judge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the other thing I wanted to mention was Halloween costumes. And this is quite good because we end up with a couple of very good Halloween costumes in this season. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what, what did she do? Sandra Day? Sandra D. O'Connor. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Because Sandra D is yeah. from Greece, and then Sandra Day O'Connor is Supreme Court Justice. But yeah, that was great. That's I good. loved it. You, you have obviously April getting into Halloween makeup to have a baby, um, <laughs> and wanting to call him Dracula and all of this. But all all through the show, it has always done really good Halloween costumes. For yeah. for greater or lesser, Ben and Leslie dressing up as Wesley and Buttercup together is really good. <laughs> Derek in an early season coming as a straight guy and everyone going you're what until Mark stands next to him and he's dressed exactly the same as Mark (laughs) (laughs) right but I I particularly love the one that always comes to me with this is um ah the episode where Ron not Ron where Jerry has a heart attack and and Leslie is dressed as Rosie the Riveter and Anne is dressed as the gymnast I think but who won an Olympic medal, and she was dressed as her. And it was just the two of them together, and it was... Those are good Halloween costumes. I don't do Halloween costumes. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I admire, but don't have a ton of interest in. Okay. Oh, and of course we have Ben as the lamplighter from his own game. Oh, for... yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure you meant to do that, Ben. <laughs> ben can do whatever he wants. Hmm. So we're going to start wrapping up on Parks and Rec soon. But before we do, um, what were your favorite things from season seven? Um, I think we've already talked about how much I did love the flash forwards in the finale. So I won't talk about those anymore. Um, <laughs> Andy, when he is at Donna's wedding and he's talking about how people are saying things that are kind of passive, but they really feel kind of aggressive. Man, I wish there was a name for that. And then he comes up with nicey meanie <laughs> instead of passive aggressive. I cracked up. As uh, I think it should be called nicey meanie too. Well, as named by the person who named the walkie-talkie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love it. Love it. Um, and I really loved the future moments. Um, where they did things that were absolutely absurd that would never have happened in the future. That clearly didn't happen in the future, but I really like looking for them. They they ended up being kind of like little Easter eggs to see what what they were predicting in quotes. Um, things like Kevin James starring in the Jason Bourne reboot, hmm. or on Game of Thrones, Khaleesi's going to marry Jack Sparrow, <laughs> <laughs> um, turning Shia LaBeouf into a wedding designer. You know, there were so many of these just tiny little one-off statements that just cracked me up, and I loved looking for them. Mm. 
it, it was nice because it was clearly a thing. Like they littered the season with it. They mm. did. They they were trying to remind us this is the future. Yeah. Um, in a way beyond just the very lovely tech that they had that I wish we had had in 2017 that I wish we had in 2018. I mean, not the privacy issues, but just like the hardware. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Those, I think those were really my top things besides the finale itself. I mean, like I said, it was one of the best series finales I've ever seen. So, uh, what about you? I think your favorite things are very different from mine. Yeah, there, there's a lot of very good joking going on in this season. I, I, I think I talked a couple of months ago about there were good single jokes, but it's not funny generally this is still quite funny this season if the plot doesn't work for us like you said that that across the aisle pun the the republican and the democrat who do polynesian music together oh that's good (laughs) and their band is called across the aisle lovely (laughs) there's a bit where leslie talks about wanting to write her women's barbecue cookbook and she wants to call it the feminine mesquite <laughs> See, I can't even get through saying it without giggling. <laughs> that is solid gold punning. They have to they yes. have to do a slight, you know, acrobatic flip to get to it, but <laughs> Well, there's one thing that, that Michael Shore is good at, and that's putting good puns in yeah, his, absolutely. In show. I also liked the end of that Pimeary episode where uh the woman from the middle place comes back and she gives Ben the award for Woman of the Year. Yes. And Leslie's just like, God damn it. Damn it. <laughs> it's terrific. Yeah. And and that's the sort of reward for long-time watchers that I think I appreciate more than anything else. Because that really is, it, it's a, a good joke in and of itself. And then to pay off something that we've seen years in the past. Great. Yeah. Um, But if I have to say my favorite thing from this season, it is very simply Jen Barkley in Primary. I mean, I've just told you several things about that episode because it's a a really good episode. But everything Jen does in that episode makes her one of the best guest stars this show has ever had. Oh, she was hilarious. The way she talks about them having children and needing tequila every time she comes into the house. And she turns up in a poncho and they're saying, why are you wearing a poncho? Oh, because every surface area in your house is sticky. Last time I was here, I found a melted crayon on my blazer. And then they paid that off with the the paint at the end, and she's just like, Pancho! Like, mic drop. (laughs) Yeah, that was Mm. fantastic. But the way she then, when she actually gets into her job, and she's talking to Leslie about being um, the wife of a candidate. Well, I was an actual candidate, so I think I can handle being a candidate's wife. I know all the issues inside and out. Mm, See, that's the problem. Being the wife of is a minefield. If you were just a ding-dong, I would just slap a flag pin on you, I'd pour some Valium down your throat and just shove you behind the podium, way upstage. It's the Smarties that freak people out. I think you're underestimating the voters. (laughs) I don't think that is possible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that delivers for me, because she is someone who's shown to be working so close in this world. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she is in theory the best of them at this stuff so it works oh absolutely um but finally when she's talking about the other candidate's wife um leslie says why why isn't the other candidate's wife being scrutinized like this and the phrase she uses is because june hartwell is a lukewarm bowl of nothing (laughs) that's an outstanding insult yes it absolutely is She's not a cold bowl. She's not a warm bowl. She's a lukewarm bowl of nothing. Yep. <laughs> she started an awareness campaign called Bring a Sweater. She calls it Goosebump Prevention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She was a fantastic character. I think she was better this season than she had been in the previous seasons. And she set a pretty high bar in the other seasons. Yeah. Yeah. She That, that bracket that went round of who to vote for, which characters you think are the best from Parks and Rec. I had to have a serious think between her and Ben because she's a solid character. All right. Well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about Parks and Rec? Uh, I have one question to ask you again from Kate, uh, which I thought was a good finale question. 
the question is, which is the best and worst ending for a series-long character? So we've talked about you loved the flash-forwards, you loved all the different endings. Which was the best, which was the worst? I'm going to have to say Ben and Leslie was the best. Yeah? But that's because I'm an overly sentimental person. Hmm. See, I, wa- I thought you might say Donna because that is terrific. I thought you might say Gary because it is fairly beautiful in the end. Yeah. And I thought you might say Ron, so I really wasn't sure where you'd go. <laughs> I said Leslie and Ben. Um, I think the worst one for me is April and Andy because I was disappointed in it. Mm, yeah. Because we didn't get as much of their future as we got of everybody else. Mm. Um, and that I think that's why I, it was good. What we got was good, but it just disappointed me that it ended so quickly. Yeah, that's my answer. How about you? I, I legitimately don't know. Okay. That is fair. I think because they all frustrate me somewhat, <laughs> I, I, I'm having a hard time separating and going, well, yeah, I like Ben and Leslie's, but we're just given a bit too much. I like Gary's because it is sentimental and nice, but I also feel it almost undermines everything that's come before it. Okay. Like one of the great things about this show is that it committed to that gag at Jerry. At, yeah. He is always, always the schlamozzle. Ron describes it um, in an, a much earlier season that there is the, uh, I think it's the Schlemiel who spills soup at a wedding and the Schlemozel who gets the soup spilled on him. Okay. And that Jerry is his own Schlemiel and Schlemozel. <laughs> and, and I've loved that all the way through it just commits to that joke. Every time you think they can't be meaner to him. But they are. It just gets worse and worse and harder and harder. And then finally, the final season, hey, he's mayor and he lives to be 100. So it's okay for us to do that joke all the time because he has a good life. Right. So it's okay. not it's not necessarily bad. It just uh, it gives me a weird feeling. Okay. I feel all itchy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, if you'd like to join the conversation, remember to use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. And you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. You can also email us using podcast at eloquentgushing.com, or you can leave us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash eloquentgushing. You can also find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vose. We are completely funded by our wonderful listeners like you, who give us money through the Patreon page. Anything you can give allows access to exclusive content and helps to support the network and all of our shows. To find out more, please visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And don't forget to visit the homepage, eloquentgushing.com, where you can find our other shows and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with news and announcements. We'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about the Disney movie Lilo and Stitch. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And 8675309, Jenny, I've got your number. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.